Oh, it's that time, everyone. It's that time. You hear the music. You hear it. You know what's happening. And you may think, well, there's like 19 other podcasts that use that music. And you'd be correct. But if it's Wednesday at 4.20 p.m. on YouTube, that's when you got us. It's Wayward Media Presents Because Cannabis. Brand new episodes every single Wednesday, 4.20 p.m. on YouTube. That same episode debuts Thursdays. Video on Spotify. Check us out there. Give us a follow. Give us a subscription. We would definitely appreciate that. Slew of great guests, including today. Super excited to talk with Akili Parnell from Umi Farms today and learn from him and what he has been doing and some of the exciting things they have going on, uh, as well as talk a little bit about what Illinois is doing as the state uh, is grappling. Maybe not grappling, maybe succeeding. So that's what happens in cannabis. Some people grapple. Some people succeed. Some people don't do any of those things. Some people just kind of just kind of forward for just a little bit with no real progress. Plateauing uh, is the buzzword. That is what it's called. So we'll talk a little bit about that because I'm I'm in a state. And if you've listened to the show, if you follow us at MeetWM, at MeetWayward on Facebook or at Because Cannabis on all sorts of places, get those social media handles shrunken down. Our guest today probably knows more about branding and how to get the message out there. Maybe we'll learn from him some of those things. Uh, But if you follow us, if you listen to the show, if you have subscribed, you know that we live in Ohio and you know we're a medicinal state. We just talked about my first experience at a dispensary after all this time. I went check it out two episodes ago. That was a fun one. Uh, Me uh, going to a medical dispensary for the first time. Ohio is trying to legalize again this year. Every single year, it seems there's a ballot initiative on the steps of Congress, on the steps of City Hall, uh, and our governors, past Kasich, now DeWine, just don't want to let it go, right? No legislative legalization, much like Illinois had the very first state to legalize cannabis through legislative measures. Maybe that's the way to go, people. Maybe just stop giving the power to the people and all you bigwigs in Congress that have these power to make decisions. Maybe... You know, maybe just legalize it. If nothing else, be cynical about it. Do it for the dollar bill. Do it for the money, right? If Do it for some other reason. Do it for the patients. However you want to sell it, uh, get the message out there. And it's interesting when a state has medicinal cannabis, when you can easily, let's be real, easily get a medicinal card in pretty much every single state. It's not exactly a tough process to get a recommendation. And it's not exactly then a tough process to go to those dispensaries, right? So, can we make it easier? Can more states legalize? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, first and foremost. Let's bring our guests in right now. I got no co-host, by the way. You can see that. It's me flying solo. You know that right now because I'm just ranting and raving. and I have no dust in to like, bring the chi, bring the zen, bring the calm to the room. Hopefully our guest brings a calm chi because I'm all like angry and fired up and stuff all the time. And that's why the yin to the yang, Dustin Kava, who's not here today, helps me out. Uh, Akili. I need you to do that today. I need you to be kind of the yin to my yang. You seem like a chill person. You seem like a mellow person. Uh, Most importantly, though, Ohio is about to have a ballot initiative to legalize cannabis. And for literally, it seems like the sixth time in about five years, they have changed my voting location, Akili. Why do they make it so freaking hard for people to vote? Like it's I have a church right across the street. It used to be there. But next year it's down at this building and next year it's at this building. And it's like it is like they're trying to make it hard for people to vote. I think that's a load of Bravo Sierra. You know what I'm saying? Bro, it's like they almost don't want you to vote. What? Yeah, it's no, like this a- <laughs> be crazy. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully that's not the case. So let's let's woosah, you know, bring in the good vibes. Yes, yes. Bringing those good vibes. Akili Parnell, CEO of Umi Farms in Chicago. You have Lab 11 underneath it. You have dispensaries. Uh, you're rocking Chicago in a great way. Thank you very much for joining us today. Appreciate you being here. Hey, BC. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about what we've been up to with Umi Farms, Lab 11. We're one of the first... Uh, craft cultivators in the state. Uh, I think anybody who loves cannabis is going to be excited about some craft cultivators coming uh, the same way that, you know, your your beer aficionados are excited about. And I'm one of those too. I think I'm an aficionado. I like, I drink beer. I drink. I know. You know, what? something though. I just had this conversation recently. I went through, I'm almost 50 years old here. So when I was in college, you know, we just drank what you drank. A lot of Natty Light, a lot of Bud Light, a lot of just, you know, the beast old Milwaukee cheap. Price point, budget was a concern. But even though price points have skyrocketed in alcohol, I don't even get six. I can't even imagine what, okay, what's a standard kind of craft basic, like high-end kind of six-pack IPA running uh, in cans or bottles, usually the same price up in your area right now? 
Dude, well, now with the craft beers, you're getting less now. You don't even get a full six pack. A four pack. Like a four pack. They, they did the four pack. They're like, we're going to give you 12% alcohol, but only four cans. Right. Oh. It's very annoying. They're they're like taller and cooler designs. And, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for cool packaging. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, now it's like $10, $10, $12 for like a four pack. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. All right. It's about the same price then here. Uh, but I have found overall when I do drink like a light kind of watered down beer, like a Coors Light, Miller Light, Bud Light, I find them very untasteful. Like my taste buds yeah. as I've aged. I like the bitter of an IPA. I like dark chocolate. I never used to like dark chocolate at all. So I think I have aged to that. But now I basically require a heavy IPA, which is like drinking a Big Mac, though, at one time. I mean, it's a terrible sensation, but it's delicious. Uh, it, it's something that, you know, that's only like 15, 20 years when it comes to alcohol. But I think cannabis has always been craft without yep. being craft. Cannabis is the opposite. Beer yeah. went well. You have like small brewers. And then obviously for about 50 years, you had like three people brewing beer, you know, on the big and even state to state exportation is only in the last like 15 or 20, 30 years of alcohol. Right. But then all of a sudden in like the early aughts, you really saw the craft and now it's everywhere and craft is everything. But cannabis was reversed yet. I think it's funny. Yeah. It's still kind of the sales pitch now. It's like we had the craft then we got big. And now the pitch is again, bring back the craft. Do you feel like you have to do that do you feel like it got too big sometimes in a giant state that does billion dollars a year in sales do you feel everyone is just getting high not worrying about quality or are people still looking for craft and quality i would say you know i wish i had your journey with cannabis where it was like craft from the beginning i feel like mine i i, I first uh came in contact with cannabis where i'm pretty sure it was mass produced somewhere out in the wilderness um and you know you were just getting whatever was around. Yeah, to get what you get, but don't throw a fit kind of brown frown kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. It was like, it's, it's indica. If that's what you were asking for, um, it could be sativa. If that's what you want now, um, what type thing, it's probably, <laughs> they have no idea. Um, so, you know, initially that was my journey where I felt like I was smoking the natty lights of cannabis um, and, uh, you know, the keystones and stuff like that. Oh. And you know, didn't really come in contact with like real, what I would consider like craft cannabis until medical. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't have a medical card, but I had a, uh, somebody that did have a medical card um, and knew some people with like caregiver, the equivalent of like caregiver cars and stuff like that in Michigan. And that was the first time that I got like high quality, like craft cannabis. So I feel like for me, it's almost been like, I, you know, first introduced to, to the product through the keystones and the natty lights of weed um you know brown very dry sometimes you get it can be greenish um and then got some higher quality stuff and then you know with with the corporatization of cannabis then you get sort of a turn back to you know now like miller lights and like bud lights i don't know if we're going down like i wouldn't say illinois is like full of natty lights at the legal level um but definitely got a lot who are aspiring to become like the bud lights um, the Miller lights of cannabis. And, you know, I love a Miller, like a high life. I mean, I like a <laughs> high life. The champagne, um, baby. Yeah, champagne. I love champagne. When it comes uh, in a bottle, uh, a small bottle, <laughs> and it's $5. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I feel like now it's like the resurgence of craft cannabis, at least in Illinois. So I say, I feel like if you look at other markets like Cali, like it's always been craft, probably. Uh, certainly the West Coast has always been craft. And, you know, maybe, um, you know, for you, it had always been craft. So I'm definitely jealous. But for me, it's kind of like been the opposite. And now um, we're going to bring craft to Illinois where we haven't really had it. We had a couple cultivators that I would say were like, um, you know, the initial like large scale cultivators that really had like a craft ethos. But for the most part, it was more like sort of mass production type stuff. It is interesting because a state like Illinois, which was the first state to legislatively legalize adult use, most places up until then had put on ballots, you know, fought for signatures after signatures years and years, you know, since California in 96. Ohio's been doing that for, I don't know, 15 years. We have a state right above us, you know, one of our neighbors to both of us, Michigan, which has been an OG in this legalization effort for a while, which clearly has no problems besides their Michigan. A little slam on you, buddy. Uh, not you personally, the state of Michigan, you know, you know how it is. It's just Michigan, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is where we all go to get our cannabis, by the way, from Ohio, because it's just super Makes cheap. Um, but it is interesting. You brought up a great point. States like California in Colorado, states where cannabis was early adopters, it did feel 
like you had the legacy market early on was the majority of producers of legal cannabis. Then you had MSO move in, and now you have the great debate of MSO versus legacy is where Illinois, which surely there was cannabis there prior to legalization, even prior to 2013 medical, really started as a big budget MSO state. Like it was kind of its thing. It wasn't like you have this rich, and I'm sure this is not to discount some OGs who have been growing some of the dankest dank in Illinois. I'm sure they exist, but it's not a state. If someone says, hey, give me the best weed states in America, Illinois doesn't pop up there, right? It's not Colorado. No. It's not even, you know, it's not California. It's not Oregon. It's not even like Kentucky or somewhere where they got that uh, Appalachian soil. So you are trying to take a state that really since 13's medicinal and definitely since its adult use the last few years has focused heavily on big budget MSO kind of stuff to then bring and introduce this craft grower ship. Do you find is that demand there? Do you find you have the audience who is saying, you know, we would like to experiment more because the high's the high. And so now it's what are these differences that craft's bringing? And so when you say that, like, what does that mean to you? When you say craft, what differences does craft stand out against MSO, against big budget, against mass cultivation? Like, what is that line to you? Yeah, I think the line, um, I think the, the easiest line to draw is uh, sort of small batch production. Um, to use another term that doesn't quite define it, that sort of artisanal touch where it's just like more attention to detail. Um, you know, I think it's perception and it's probably mostly reality is that it's easier to grow um, better quality cannabis uh, and smaller harvest, smaller amounts. Um, and so because we're, so he sort of had this uh, limit on our canopy space um, from the state that was imposed on us, you know, regardless of whether or not we want to be small batch or not, kind of have to be. And so to survive anyway, there's this like business uh, dynamics where it's like, you know, if you're only going to produce this amount, you know, you can't produce a small amount of Natty Light and expect to like grow a brand. No. It's like the economics don't work. You know, and so anyway, so yeah, it's like that small batch, uh, attention to detail, like more tightly controlled environment because we're growing smaller amounts with, you know, without all the, you know, massive production equipment. But then it's also, it's like, this is for and grown by people who like, and not to say there's some people at MSOs that I know that for sure really love weed. Um, I just feel like you get more of that with the craft thing because, you know, the economic opportunity is a little harder. Uh, to make work. And it's like the people that are going after these and trying to stand up a craft grow or people that just like really love the culture of weed and love, love the culture, love cannabis, love weed, um, and just want to make some stuff that they'd be proud to smoke as opposed to only just, you know, producing as much for as little as you can and then just trying to get it out there and and all that, and you may or may not like weed. Everybody that's there may or may not like weed, you know, where I would say. Yeah, no, they're they're monitoring the bottom line as much as they are the effects of the cannabis and the terpene profiles and the lab results, which both are doing, right? Both are focusing on those. But I think in the craft, the focus is on the flavor profile, the terpene profile, right? What type of uh, other cannabinoids are you highlighting and accentuating? Are you putting CBD? Are we doing CBG? Are we really a CBN? Are we letting it dry a little? Are we maximizing indica or maximizing sativa? But in that MSO world, there is one thing that drives it and it has to be dollars, right? I mean, yeah. sales are good, quality HR, all that stuff is wonderful, all the varieties of the strains, but I think they answer to maybe stockholders or whatever. But yeah, I think that's that deciding factor. You clearly, you know, Lumi Farms and stuff, you want to make a profit. But I yeah. think when you say craft, I think that's what I think too. Like the money should be there, but the love always is, right? And that kind of vibe. Yeah, that's it. To sum it up, like, it's always made with love, like everything. The money is there, but it's made with love and made with passion. And that's like number one. So I think it's interesting. I'll go back a little bit in your journey. I mean, now that you're kind of getting into ownership and executive uh, you know, management of these types of things, but you come from kind of a legal background, like you come from a legal background and in just uh, browsing through the LinkedIn, as you got to do these days, uh, I see you had your own little experience with an MSO. In fact, uh, one yeah. I got a bunch of their products right behind me here, GTI. Uh, they're here in the state, the botanists here, uh, into that. So um, what you have this legal background. Did you must have been comfortable with cannabis? Was it the job that got you into the cannabis industry, or did you want to take the legal backing and 
get into the cannabis industry? Like, which came first? What was your desire to uh, start legally uh, as a you know in-house counsel before getting into where you're at now? Yeah, I mean, I've I've you know been a fan of the plan for a long time. Been wanting to, uh, I feel like I almost sort of like manifested my way into the into the legal cannabis space, but. I didn't really know that much about the legal cannabis space. Like I just always gotten it through, through the traditional means and stuff and like all the good quality stuff that I ever gotten came from Colorado uh, for the most part or California, but I usually can get it from Colorado. Um, and I didn't even know that Illinois had a medical market. Like I had been in Chicago already and I like the whole medical legalization thing just totally passed me by. Cause I thought that, you know, you had to have some terminal illness to get like a medical card and hmm. Illinois. And so I was just like, I don't have that. So I'm not even worried about it. But I had some friends um, that I had known that, um, you know, had been working in the un unregulated market and they moved out to, to Cali and, um, you know, started to do really well out there um, in the, in the legal market um maybe back in like 2015 2014 2016 or something like that and when colorado passed rec um me and my friends started going there more often okay. and like visiting the stores and the first time i went into like an actual dispensary it was just like a kid in a candy store like, <laughs> it's pretty oh, awesome right being an adult yeah. use for the first i just visited as you heard in my intro the first medicinal one here in ohio but i've been to a couple other states in their adult use dispensaries uh and it's quite it's quite fun it's quite cool, man. It just is. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of the, the one of the, like the best moments of my life is like yeah. just going into like a legal dispensary and like not even just because it's legal, but like the amount of products that they had. Like I've yes. never had that wide of a selection of stuff, and I knew exactly what it was, and there's like no bullshit, yeah, and stuff like that. And um, all these new form factors, that was the big one. It was like, oh, these different kind of edibles and this kind of edible and now emulsification. Like, I mean, it hits in like 20 minutes. I don't have to sit around for like two Yeah, three hours. yeah, live resin and RSOs. And then you got resin yeah. versus rosin. And you're like, oh, my God, there's so much. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's really what like, like, like sparked my interest. But I was like, okay, at this point, I was a lawyer. I was like, I'm for sure not going to take the California bar exam or for sure not taking another bar exam. I was already barred in Tennessee and Illinois. And I was just like, uh, until it comes to Illinois or Chicago um, or the East Coast, I'm just not going to be in the legal industry. And I saw it was like really hard. Like it wasn't a lot of people that looked like me in the legal industry in like Colorado. Sure. And I heard about California. So I was just like, eh, you know, but I really wanted it. And then, you know, I was working my corporate job doing like mergers and acquisitions and finance and like these like cross border deals with like, you know, you know, different accounts and like, you know, Guernsey and these places in the Bahamas and all this stuff. And, you know, it was like, okay, this is, it sounds sexy and cool, but after you know how to do it and you do it a bunch, it's kind of boring. <laughs> um, and so I was like, I don't really see myself doing this long term. So I want to do something else. And I was always passionate about like social justice and always involved in a lot of social justice stuff and come from a community that had been harmed by the war on drugs. And um, <clears throat> a recruiter reached out to me and was like, hey, uh, there's this uh, fast growing cannabis company in Chicago, which I had never heard of at the time, um, that's looking for an in-house deal attorney to like just do a whole bunch of different deals. They're just growing and, you know, whether it's like raising capital or doing a brand licensing deal um or you know real estate or whatever and i was like yeah that's me that's that, I'm, I'm that person right, hold on it's like i feel like hold on it's like i have to interrupt you because i feel like if you've been like kind of skirting around the legal cannabis industry and you're kind of getting your name there and all of a sudden someone calls and like hey ma'am and i'm obviously being succinct here uh we want to be a lawyer at a cannabis company, I gotta imagine you're like, yeah, it's a little more than yeah, that's me. Maybe in the moment, but God, when you put down that phone, I look at me, I'm like old. I'm like, you didn't put a phone in a cradle. When you hit, <laughs> when you hit the button on the phone, it ended the call. Were you just like one of those like movie moments? Like, are you kind of freaking a bit? Like, that's kind of a cool vibe to take yeah. that, which is what everyone's dream and entrepreneurship is. Our profession equals passion. Those kind of words. That had to be a moment where you just felt like, hell yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, so basically what happened is you get these emails when you're at a law firm about all these different jobs. You may or may not get them. But I, I got that one and I was just like, 100 percent, they're going to hire me. This is my job. I immediately texted my friend. We have this group. Chat. We have a group chat called like uh, Drugs and Politics. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good name. That. It's drugs. It's a very sophisticated conversation. I love it. Very, very, very on the very, nose. Now very sophisticated uh, all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I just texted him. I was like, hey, I'm about to work at this cannabis company. And not apply, not even submit my resume. Oh, that's awesome. I'm about to work here. 
And uh, they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, bro, this is it. This is my calling. And so uh, that's awesome, man. And so, yeah, I applied and uh, went through this long interview process and multiple interviews and all these extra. And I got the job. And at that point, I was just like, if they open the door, I'm going to run through it and I'm going to go and start my own cannabis company one day. And during my first interview um, with the CEO at the time, I told him, I was like, hey, look, yeah, I, come, I do want to come work for y'all. But my goal is to start my own cannabis company. So just FYI some point i'm gonna leave and go do that and so long story short uh when illinois passed rec and there were more licenses uh more well new licenses were going to come out uh that's what i did i just left gti started working on putting teams together and to apply for licenses and doing like a lot of like social equity advocacy stuff because i wanted more people to look like me uh to be able to be in the space especially in chicago so that um that's awesome, man. First of all, that's awesome. I mean, I'm, it's awesome that it worked out. I love your manifestation of like, yes, this is going to happen. And it actually coming to fruition. I think that uh, is super exciting. And it's interesting. You know, you talk about it a couple of times during there, but you have still to this day, I think you're still doing some work, you know, for different civil rights groups and things like that. Uh, and that's something, you know, we've talked about that a lot on the show with a variety of different folks. You know, that being someone who looks like you versus someone who looks like me, it's a bunch of people who look like me running businesses and cannabis and we're trying to get and this is uh crudely as possible more people that look like you working there was that something you already obviously clearly noticed it being out in colorado in california and i know that illinois and there's been some maybe we could talk about this you know some lawsuits back and forth tried very hard and i'll give them credit out of all the states illinois really pushed hard in the beginning huge amounts of equity to the best they could they had a mass expungement one of the biggest mass expungements on day one of people with small you know uh cannabis convictions and all this other such so seven i think it was like seven hundred thousand some people expunged on day one so and they really tried to put this heavy emphasis on getting diverse ownership you know they have all these rating systems but we see and it happened here in ohio and i know one of those owners who was hired because she looks like you and then when she went to say uh excuse me i have a you know like a comment they're like "Mm, sure and then she kind of gave them the finger started her own business and now she's huge successful shout to uh her but it's hard and i have to imagine that was something that was lacking did you have someone that you were mentoring with or looking for or were you trying to be or are you pushing forward to be one of the early uh people to provide a face to provide a more diverse ownership what's that been like in the last couple years as illinois struggled tried but struggled yeah yeah no for sure i mean i do have a mentor in this space uh he does not like come from a community like me or anything like that but he's a good friend doesn't look like me i don't have i don't have a a black or brown mentor because you know we just have to be trouble nobody had done what we're trying to do so it's kind of like you know, um, so sometimes that's the exciting part. And then, you sure. know, maybe I get to like help mentor some other people, but I do have some folks that like I can confide in and like help me understand the business dynamics and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately what it was, was just community. And so we have this advocacy community that's, you know, it's not just black and brown folks, but it's centered on like, um, you know, advancing racial equity uh, in the cannabis space called Chicago Normal. And I joined them basically right when I joined um, GTI, right when oh, I first okay. got in the legal space, I was like, okay, and we're all the black and brown folks. Let's figure out a way to get some in. And I found this advocacy community where some of the people working in the industry, a lot of them were just doing the advocacy stuff. But that helped me. That gave me an outlet to like figure out how to like balance the two and merge the two. Like, okay, I'm learning all this stuff about the legal industry, um, but it does it's not satisfying my equity goals right now with just my day job. And so then that I get I brought those two together. And now as a business owner, I get to like you know bring both of those together as like the foundation of our business. Uh, it's interesting. I often think about, and I think sometimes it's a it's a really difficult problem to solve, like trying to increase ownership. Obviously, uh, generational capital tends to be the biggest uh, issue. I think one of the bigger roadblocks when it happens. And I, you know, we may see better generational wealth down the road, but it's something I think particularly those underserved communities are struggling with. And it's not just uh, African Americans; it's women ownership as well, and you know, management positions. Though that is getting better, but still, obviously not where it needs to be but it's hard to exactly figure out how to fix it and i you know people have these debates and they try to have these systems when they award for more ownership um if you had and i don't know like a pie in the sky like how do you think we fix it like what's just a few suggestions or i don't know let's just brainstorm here what could we do if we had a magic powers we could do it how do you think we could actually solve it is it just give more ownership is it it can't just be give money i feel like it has to be more than just here's money right i don't know i don't know what the answer is 
Yeah. So the answer is uh, it's bigger than cannabis. It's not a cannabis industry specific thing. It's like, <clears throat> like you said, in general, you know, a very little like venture capital and things like that go to women owners, go to minority owners, things like that. Just a wider issue in our economy um, and comes from like, uh, you know, our history. So say, for example, like my parents uh, grew up in the segregated South. Like they both graduated mm -hmm. from segregated schools. My parents were the first uh, black people to work at like Woolworth, which is like working at Target or Walmart or something like that today. <laughs> um, and so I remember I'm old. I remember Woolworth. So basically what that means is like, you know, our economic opportunities, my economic opportunities were to a certain degree limited yeah. by their economic opportunities were limited by segregation. So, you know, maybe some of my other friends and colleagues, their parents may have accumulated generational wealth and passed it on to them. My parents, the, you know, the ceiling was maybe right here. So for them, because of segregation. And so mm -hmm. that's not, you know, look at today, that's not necessarily your fault or my fault or anything it's just the reality is that sure. i can inherit a certain amount of generational wealth from my parents and that's the average experience for a lot of african americans because of the systems we built in the past and so how do we undo all that today you know you know the truth is you're not gonna be able to undo it all but how do we acknowledge the harms of the past and then just do the best we can to try to level the playing field as much as we can knowing that it will never quite be equal at least not in our lifetimes and so that's what social equity programs do. If I had a magic wand, I think a lot of it is money, but it's got to be money in the hands of the people that know how to do the thing. And so that's mm -hmm. what we encountered, like with me and my friends, where we worked at the MSOs, we worked at the highest levels. Like we know how to do everything that they know how to, that you know the rich companies, the big companies know how to do. The difference is it's harder for us to access capital. When yeah. you try to go access capital, they're like, first thing is like, well, how much are you putting in? It's like, well, I'm a, you know, my parents aren't millionaires, so I can't put sweat in sweat equity. <laughs> yeah, sweat equity. it's all sweat equity. Or who else is, you know, and stuff like that. So it's kind of becomes like a, a cycle, and it's not even just a race specific thing. But you know, if you're, uh, you know, lower, if you come from a lower income family, mm -hmm. white, black, or whatever, your network of high net worth people is going to be smaller. Um, so, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that and that's where social equity programs come in. And for me, it does really, a lot of it comes down to capital. Some of it comes down to expertise, but, um, you know, the state has to help fill those voids, but again, states are limited because they got a lot of other stuff that's more important as much as I think weed is the most important thing. Um, there's other stuff going on in society that's really important and a lot to pay for. So it's tough. It is tough. We're seeing some states improve. I don't think does Illinois have um, a uh, a um, what's the word I'm trying to find? Not miniature a micro marijuana license yet. Like they're getting in Michigan and in, in New York and Connecticut, where they're starting to offer very small, you know, really uh, encouraging diverse location, uh, diverse ownership by having super small limits on amount of plants and on acreage, and then be able to do a lot of those processing things in your own house or in one facility, which normally you couldn't do in big budget cannabis. Is Illinois getting into that yet where they're doing those uh, kind of entry level micro marijuana licenses as they're known? Uh, yeah, I'm actually not a fan of these because no. I okay, talk to me. I, I'm curious because I I would be pro them without ha being in a state or being one who would ever apply for it. And I know, for example, uh, I know two women, both uh, African American, who are running businesses in Connecticut because of it. And so, but I'm curious on the other side because I I always feel like they're good, but there it seems like there's got to be a, a downside and, yeah, my big or at least some cons, some cons in the box. My big thing is like setting an artificial limit on my production doesn't help me raise mm. capital or do anything um, in particular. So like that, I can uh, that I because we the craft grow licenses are limited. It's not okay. specific to social equity. That's just the only other license they made available for new growers, white, black, whatever. Um, and our big complaint among all of us, white, black, brown, yellow, purple, is that it does not is like <laughs> it doesn't help us. Like it's that, so small, grow, right? Like you can't. You can yeah. only produce so much in that size. So your yeah. earning potential is a finite number. It's 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 limited by your yeah. size. And, and the, I, the thinking was, is like, well, we're going to provide licenses. It was kind of uh, paternalistic because it was like, you know, we're going to provide licenses uh, to people that they can handle. But I'm like, well, let me figure out what I can handle. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Type thing. Like, I don't, that I'm limited doesn't make it easier in any way actually it kind of does the opposite because then you can only grow so big and that makes it harder to raise capital and stuff like that but those micro businesses if you could do it in your home and things like that then yes 
but usually they don't allow you to use existing spaces that you have access to or control. And with all the zoning regulations, and especially in a big city like New York or Chicago, this is most of, I spend half my time in New York, half my time in Chicago. Um, my partner won two licenses in New York, uh, two of the first dispensary licenses there. Awesome. So, also a state that's struggling to get launching, struggling with diversity issues, struggling with what a lot of states seem to struggle with. But they did address the capital thing, which uh, is the biggest hurdle that I've found. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, those things could work, but I haven't seen them work uh, at, at, a, at a state, at a program level. There's a couple good stories, um, but if you could do it in your home or you could do it in your backyard and grow, that'd be great. You can build a brand off that um, and stuff. But we still have to go through all the same things that the big growers have to go through. We just have an artificial cap. Uh, not artificial, but man, yeah, state kind of artificial. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of artificial. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting stuff. Uh, all right, one more question about Illinois, and we'll get to Umi Farms here in Lab Eleven. Um, you got to watch a state go through its legalization process. A state that I don't think people realized was going to be as big as it was. It came out roaring. It's doing billions of dollars. Uh, it was at one point the highest uh, percentage of uh, out-of-state sales in the country. It was well over 34% out-of-state sales. It's now dipped below 25 as obviously a lot of neighboring states yeah. begin to legalize. So Illinois went through this process and just, gosh darn, did they do so well? Like, did you guys see that coming? Did you and your just either friends or in the business world, it did well, but I don't know if anyone knew how well it might do. Yeah, I think people have always, uh, in my circle, have always been bullish on uh, Chicago. Uh, or Illinois, sorry, um, because, well, one, a lot of the MSOs are based in Chicago. So, or in, well, actually, yeah, in Chicago uh, and Illinois. Um, and so, you know, they definitely help shape it to be a limited license market. And here's my thing. As a consumer, I love unlimited license markets because it creates so much competition and drives the prices so low that the product is usually the best that you can get. And um, there's tons of diversity and I love buying new stuff all the time, different kinds of things, all that. And it's great. As a business owner, though, kind of sucks, um, <laughs> <laughs> especially without like federal tax reform and all these different things. Uh, it's just a really tough. And that's what you see in California and the West Coast where people are struggling to survive. Mm -hmm. And so because Illinois has always been a limited license market, it's a pretty healthy market. It's the best market to buy cannabis in. No, absolutely not. We're going to help make it better. Is it good enough? I think so. Um, and sort of sort of balances all those different things and just creates a really healthy market for businesses. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've kind of always felt like it was going to be that because honestly, of the limited licenses. And there's a lot of debate in the social equity community about whether or not limited licenses are good or bad. I think they're good um, yeah. for a lot of reasons. I think we need to ensure that certain groups are able to access those. But then, yeah, I think there needs to be a time where there's a limited amount of competition because, you know, we know what it looks like in the broader economy when there's no competition and just big companies end up winning. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, for sure. Uh, we're talking with Akili Parnell, the CEO of Umi Farms. We're going to talk Umi Farms and Lab 11 in just a minute. Uh, I started this show solo, uh, but now Dustin Kava, super awkward, walked in late to the conversation. Dustin, Akili, Akili, Dustin. I don't know how you guys are going to introduce each other, uh, but it brings <laughs> a great segue into mind. Uh, so this is something I think about. I lived in Chicago. I didn't. I lied. I lived in uh, Warrensville, like a suburb of Chicago. Uh, there's two movie theaters out there. I don't know if they still exist. Movie theaters aren't cool anymore the south barrington 30 and the uh, warrensville 30 or something like that out near napersville i was part of that crew a long time ago so i lived out there for years uh, it's crazy expensive to live out there i am shocked to learn that so many msos are kind of riding in like chicago proper it feels like rent would be astronomical dustin lives in the country i live like in the city right dustin's way it's like an hour to get to dustin's house there's tons of cows and horses and all these other things i have like a target literally right next door to me like i'm right in the suburban hell of uh Akron, Ohio. So I would think property would be so much cheaper out in, I don't know, Joliet and Peoria, the only two other Illinois cities I know. Somewhere way out there, like they'd be so much cheaper. Why Chicago? Wouldn't rent for these buildings be so more expensive? I'm shocked to learn that so many people are growing in Chicago, I guess. Well, I think there's actually, I don't think there's an actual cultivation facility in the city limits. Okay. There's, All right. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. 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 There may be a couple in, and maybe one in Cook County, which is like kind of considered like Chicago land. There's maybe a couple. I actually I don't think very many. Most are well outside of Chicago. All right. All right. 
So most are out there uh, creating logistical issues, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Is it transportation to get back and forth to Chicago? I feel like that's a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. No. So our cultivation facility is like right off the freeway. So it makes it easier for us. But then, of course, you're running the traffic. But at least you're not driving like four or five hours. Like we're definitely within an hour of, you know, downtown pretty easily and sometimes less than 30 minutes. So uh, that's helpful. But most of them, yeah, they got to they gotta deal with the transportation logistics. It's usually pretty mm. cool. Do you think that the mass exodus from commercial real estate right now, this as if it's like this unforeseeable bubble that's about to burst within this country, do you think that at any point it would make sense to use that real estate for agriculture of any kind or for or do you think that you know it'll most likely i mean the people already exited from the cities during covid now you have the commercial you know the hybrid work remote work situations that are just there's that real estate is there and so yeah what do you see think that there will ever be a time when it, it you know has that potential or is it too hard to secure or just there's other nightmares about it that you just could never see you know filing an application for yeah i think the the main place that the production facilities are going to end up being located in is going to be like dead manufacturing districts and like sort of the outskirts of the city and stuff like that but like those downtown core areas where the where retail is dying i think they'll probably just end up getting turned into like new bars and restaurants which i think it's cool uh or uh, condos and stuff but just like the logistics like one the zoning is a big issue in most cities you can't locate production facilities in most of those places that were commercial for retail or bit or office space or whatever. Um, and so it usually ends up being in manufacturing, but then a lot of the manufacturing districts are also turning into like restaurant districts, which is cool. So I could see a day where there's some areas in Chicago where you could locate a cultivation facility, still kind of expensive, pretty expensive to put one, but they're building up restaurants and things like that. So if you get in one of those early, and then the other warehouses get turned into like new coffee shops and blah, blah, blah. And you can own the building. And that would be super cool. That would be like something that I would like to do. But that would be awesome, right? Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Uh, that would be the way to go. Uh, we've been talking through uh, Dustin Kava joining us, talking to Keely Parnell, uh, CEO of Umi Farms. You can check him out at umifarms.com, U-M-I-F-A-R-M-S.com. And the lab 11 that's the number 11.com we'll put those links in the comments below uh so you've gone through this journey you started as the council you've been thinking about creating the cannabis company back in the day you were brazen enough day one to tell in the interview i i, I want this in-house council job but i'll be darn i'm going to be leaving to start my own company uh that's a lot of bravado to tell during the interview uh let's talk the actual transition so why get into this you knew you wanted to do it so you decided to go into basically cultivation you're looking at production you're looking at lifestyle brands with umi farms and uh, the lab 11 which is kind of an um, underneath umi farms is the big umbrella uh, let's talk about the journey why get there why umi farms like what was how did this become from all this planning all this on day one to the interview or this is what i'm going to do when did it actually happen and i know it's a long journey but we'll a uh, short version of that yeah i mean the inspiration comes from you know uh probably being a dreamer and smoking a bunch of weed and just you know dreaming <laughs> of stuff that you want to do <laughs> on the couch <laughs> watching tv stuff. hell yeah that's, that's true though so. I, your branding encompasses some of that off the rip you know and so it's like you found a way to embody it in a positive way and i i don't know man i think yeah just go to the about go to the lab 11.com and just just go oh to i love it i love it. your marketing so much <laughs> so good. It, it genuinely is brilliant and it's not something that a lot of fucking cannabis brands take you know gravitate towards in any way i mean i probably worked with I don't know, 30 cannabis companies in the last two years or so. And every one of them is, you know, we're gonna, I want the wood paneling in the background that, you know, the, the fake fucking green plants sitting there with the, it's just, it's all the same nonsense. And I just, I love, I love the fucking broccoli on the cover. I the, love the broccoli. I, I, the broccoli I just, dude, there is, bars is dope. There is genuinely so much about the branding that I just think you're doing absolutely right. And I, I don't know, man, I fucking love your brands. That's why I, I drove an hour and 15 minutes to get here late just because I had to tell you that I, I really <laughs> think the direction you're going and how you're thinking about the brand is, is super future forward 
but paying homage to the past. But you've got yeah. all the puzzle pieces, man. So I the broccoli is so excited. good. I'm looking at the broccoli right now on umifarms.com. Umifarms.com, UMI Farms. The broccoli on the cover, it's a chef's kiss, man. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> Dude, I appreciate that. I love that. Like, yeah. So I, you know, I worked in the corporate cannabis space and I was like, I'm not trying to get away from like stunner aesthetics. Like I wanted to do some new stuff and some cool stuff, but like, I want to pay homage to the culture and I'm not trying to necessarily convert people who didn't like weed before and things like that. <laughs> like, no, nah, I was just like, let's lean into like, you know, what, what makes cannabis fun and weed fun and stuff like that. And just like do some new stuff, like new design and everything. And, um, uh, yeah, so that's what we're trying to do, and it just genuinely comes from like a love of the plant and the inspiration we get from from using it with friends and, and family and stuff like that. So, what was one of those? This is one of those uh, you know generic questions, but I feel like it's important. I think uh, Dustin and I ourselves, you know, we're always trying to start companies. We just had a long conversation with Andrew D'Angelo about entrepreneurship. Uh, what was one of those things? Someone who worked in the MSO world, you feel like you have to feel like after being in-house counsel of a giant MSO and being around the industry, like you have a really good understanding of how to do whatever you're about to do. What thing kind of kicked you in the ass and you were like, man, I did not see that coming at all. Like what thing just caught you off guard as you're kind of starting it? Because you kind of knew the state was going to be a pain in the ass. You knew regulations. Like that's not like, oh my God, they're going to kind of get on me about, you know, price per plant or whatever and inventory. Like, you know, that stuff is coming. What did you not see coming? Man, it's, it's just always some shit that just comes up like every day. There's just like new bullshit. And it's like, it's not even necessarily the state. It's like, it can be local stuff. Like the zoning stuff just takes forever. And it's just always shit that comes up and like logistics and supply chain and getting like packaging printed up. And then like, you know, sometimes with like printers, they'd be like, well, your design is in RGB, but it's got to be in CMYK. And I'm like, well, can you just put it in that? And they're like, no. And I'm like, what do you, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then to figure that That's out. something they don't talk about enough in entrepreneurial <laughs> courses, like submitting the right grade. We just had this conversation yesterday because YouTube has to have a lower megapixel rating than Spotify. So we had to get a new thumb tile because it was a whole thing. We just yeah. are going through this. And I had to yell at Dustin, who does our graphics, like, I need a lower resolution. YouTube won't let me do it since we're uploading this way. So that's something they don't talk about enough like the communication with all of your professional business partners your accountants your attorneys your designers like your consultants all these people i feel like a lot of cannabis folks either are too strong in their own they get in their own way a lot too right? specialized in certain regards and to the be an entrepreneur special, you are yeah. wearing a million hats but you got to have the conversation with the people who specialize it and be able to continue the conversation along you know the minute that your employees start doing shit you really truly don't understand or if it wasn't going to take you 300 hours to their 30 hours to get the same thing accomplished you know it's a total another story you start feeling like your business isn't it's not in your control anymore and in in certain regards like that's being an entrepreneur it's that back and forth of i need to be able to have this conversation in some way and how the heck do we get to that end goal yeah. i think it's so easy in this industry to have the dick swinging we're awesome look at our successes 2500 carts we sold it Minutes at the I'm going to go write six LinkedIn right. posts about how awesome I am and what I'm doing. Oh but my I'm, God. I don't want to really, I feel bad putting you on the spot in this way, but to be an entrepreneur also means sometimes to accept the business fails, the, the business loss where you genuinely, it's, this was your loss. You said we're going in this direction. And after six months of teamwork and six months of other shit, you had to pivot in some way. Can you, if you don't want to describe exactly what happened, I would be interested in hearing how the heck you get over that. How do you convey to the team that, Hey, I made this mistake and we have to take this new direction or this is the new updated info. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, with construction, with, with facility construction, I mean, there's been so many different hurdles and things that overcome and stuff like that. And you're like, one is with our launch date, like our initial launch date was going to be 420. You know, it's 720 today and we do not have products on shelves. Um, and I hyped everybody up and we did a big push and did a whole bunch of stuff and just to realize we're far away from being able to oh. Um, And so, you know, we try to do that. And then, you know, 710, like all day was like the next 
milestone and you know so <laughs> you know there's just always like a lot of shit but i think for real this time like we're at the end of that uh, <laughs> of that road uh, we're at the end of the runway we're about to take off and um yeah so i mean you just be honest you know my big thing is like we're honest this stuff comes up you know especially with unexpected things like you you know expect the unexpected is the, the main thing that i try to tell people to do and with cannabis it's always going to take longer than you plan and and more money yeah and more money and probably twice as long as you thought so <laughs> uh which seems to be true so far so you know just try to stay humble and work hard and be an example and not be too good to do like anything like you know i call printers and try to figure out printer color stuff and negotiate financing at the same time and get in there and pack pre-rolls and you know and fill vape carts and you know all that so you made a really interesting point about it taking twice as long or taking longer than you think how does that feel when the cannabis year or cannabis it's moving twice as fast as a normal year, you know, so things are taking twice as long, but your industry is actually moving so far ahead every three months that to take an extra six months sometimes feels like, yeah, like you just, you, you it just the whole year went by or something, you know, I don't know. There's, there's something to that. How does that feel? not how does it feel but what is it like to live in that world yeah dude, it's scary i mean you know because you don't want to get left behind you come up with a plan and then new stuff happens and there's always new innovation and you know there's always i'm gonna say yeah, there's always people always want to be the first and you know we want to be the first at a lot of things and especially mm -hmm. with like unfortunately with like you know like the social equity licensees and stuff like we always want to be the first to market and the first to do that and blah 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 and uh you know and there's been some of that in chicago but we're, we're all friends or at least i'm friends with them hopefully you know, <laughs> so when you so when you go out to dinner with these cats they're like it's been three months man are you yeah. what's going on do i need to get my crew in there to kind oh of no not that you know? need to help you need some help yeah. there akil you need some little help to get this off the ground like, nah, but you this. can buy my beer tonight dick yeah they, they want to work for free man i love it man like it'd be great <laughs> oh what part i mean so you got this whole process you got all these products if you want to give a quick pitch let's give a quick pitch in your words like umi farms the lab 11 like what you're kind of going on there but really what i wanted to know besides the products and stuff you're launching out there it's going to be available in dispensaries in illinois um is what you're kind of most like excited about like is it getting products in the hands is it getting feedback uh talk just a little bit about what you guys are doing the products and then what part of it really are excited to launch and get this stuff into the buying public's hands. Yeah, for sure. I mean, most excited about getting the product in customers' hands, like getting in stores, doing activations, interacting with bud tenders, getting feedback, like, because like part of Lab 11 is just like being innovative. Like it's, we're always looking at the past, being nostalgic, but like future forward. And like, you know, what we're doing is like empowering like our team and friends to do stuff that maybe they couldn't do with their old job or, you know, just whatever, like for us stoners who know how to do stuff, like let's create some new stuff and have innovation coming out of Chicago and Illinois and not just, you know, California and Michigan and things like that. Um, and like innovative on both like the product side, like new products, but then also like new visuals and ways to interact with the plant and interact with other people. And so that's what I'm most excited about is getting the product out there, new activations and new ways to like uh, interact with the cannabis community um, with parties and events and things like that. We just had a party with a good friend of mine or not a party, but a launch event. It was a party um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's launching a chocolate brand. It was like a fair trade, like chocolate. Oh, that's right. That's right. How'd that go? is amazing yeah uh, so shout out to my to my good friend manny mendoza who's a cannabis chef he's been on netflix like he's a legitimate like real chef went to school of america's all this stuff um but like a real cannabis person and it's just bringing those two together and has been in a way that's just amazing so to see his product coming to market uh is super exciting too and so for us to launch our brands together mm -hmm. um it's just amazing we had like 300 and something people show up um is that a great venue we had a lot of fun games and things like that we do more of that and that's something we hadn't seen in the illinois market because folks like us didn't have licenses so now that we do um i'm super excited about that and just building that cannabis community in the regulated market so do yeah. you feel like you have social lounges that opened up in illinois right or is there talk of social lounges yeah, so uh, maybe outside of Chicago, none in Chicago yet. That well, 
not regulated ones. My friend had one for a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, like, my house is a social lounge. It's the social. It's the it's the I don't even know what's the clubs that have the, the rotary club, you know, it's a different rotary club where we're all just happen to be smoking in like we do have a consumption license, which so we have like an actual cannabis consumption license. None are operational in Chicago yet. I think there's a couple downstate. I haven't gotten the chance to go to yet, um, but we're definitely trying to do that too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to get that sense of the community without actually being able to go out and talk to the community in a different way. And it, I just always think of just that power of being able to take your product or see your product being sold in a, a lounge like that and just standing back on the sidelines and watching how everyone interacts with it. And, and just, I don't know. I just, I always thought it was interesting and that's why I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up. No, for sure. It's super exciting. I've been, I've been to a couple in other places and uh, can't wait for us to have them. I think there's one in Chicago, but I think it's just, I don't know if it's DA or not, but there's <laughs> one in, in Chicago. I think it's just DA cause legally, I don't know, whatever. I don't think, you know, we have them yet. So um, but the license is out there. We're going to, we're going to launch one soon. How are you with say the other, you know, you guys being someone, and I'm always curious some people who are working in uh, the, you know, D nine THC real weed industry. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel and how do you go with, and I'm not talking to folks that are growing fine quality hemp or amazing CBD. I'm a fan of pure CBG flower grown. Well, like that stuff is amazing. I'm talking the uh, take your CBD, CBD flower, spray paint it with a bunch of oils and call it a THC and put a letter underneath it. The THC alphabet, as I like to call it, where do you stand? Are you for it against it? Do you get mad at it? Is it just a fad? Like where do you sit with these other cannabinoids and the rise of the THC alphabet? Uh, in all the smoke shops these days. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not not a fan of the D8s and the and whatever else is like if it's not D9, you know, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not really for it. I'm not trying to hate on them or like you know knock them. For well, it. I would be too if I just spent a million dollars working on my licenses and the applications <laughs> yeah, yeah. and all this shit, and some cocksuckers calling himself a bud tender. With, you know, have derived dummies for four dollars. Come get them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There is a. You have every right to be like, whoa, we don't, you know, there's a lot more to this, but yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, and, you know, definitely for, if for no other reason, that reason, because we got to do all this and comply with all these rules and blah, 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 to make real weed. Um, but also as a consumer, like I just don't, I've never tried those things and just don't really have the desire to. So um, in particular, like DA and stuff like that and, uh, you know, all the other ones. So uh, the knockoffs, you know, I don't think that's what people really want. I think this is what people are buying because of limited access and stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. So. I think I often wonder, do consumers and we're talking, so you're in a big state, Achille Parnell, CEO of Umi Farms, umifarms.com, huge state, billion dollar state cannabis yearly. I think people, cannabis consumers as a whole, just want to feel better. I don't think as a whole, and it's my calm, hot take. I'm going hot take right now. Hot take. I feel like we should need to have an alarm, like hot take alert. Woo, woo. I don't think the vast majority of cannabis consumers care the strain or the terpene profile. I think the majority of cannabis consumers would be super happy. And I want to get your opinion on this, Keely, if it was marketed like CBD, which is feel better, feel relaxed, right? Simple marketing terminology. And this is a battle. Dustin, look at him. He's got a beard. He is so legacy and so like, give me my strains by names. And I am clearly with my polo shirt, clearly a uh, sophisticated gentleman uh, to your homeless chic vibe, Dustin. Uh, and I, I am not too worried about it. I just want to feel good. Uh, what do you think? Where's your, where do you fall on the, I don't want to say dumb it down because that's the wrong term. Simplify cannabis marketing so that it's more widely accepted and more understood versus selling cat piss to my grandmother. <laughs> I, I loaded that with a terrible name. I could have said something nice. Super lemon hay sounds like no, no, that, that was a but popular train. Green crack cat piss always has to come into that, like those names. Just in general, I just I feel like we make it, and we as the collective cannabis world, the cannabis hardcores, the people in it, <laughs> uh, oversell. And this is maybe to that big business, oversell the terpenes and stuff. And we just need to say, feel good, feel sleepy, feel excited, feel relaxed. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, there are a lot of consumers that do what that. I don't. I think the majority want somewhere in between. Like they kind of want to know this mm. is indica, this is sativa, this is a hybrid. They're not going to keep up with all the new strains and crosses. I can't keep up with all the new strains and crosses and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, so 
I know if I'm this deep into it, um, you know, my aficionado <laughs> friends, my real aficionado friends can. But I think like all product, like wine is like that. Um, yeah. All is like that, where maybe like 20 percent or 10 percent of the market really, really cares about all those details. And those are important. And that helps like product development. And then mm -hmm. other people like when I go to the wine store, I don't need to know all the details, but I do want wines to keep evolving and, you know, maturing and stuff like that. And maybe the aficionados push that forward. But for me, I'm just like, hey, tell me what's what tastes good, you know, what's dry, what's not, boom, boom, boom. And I feel like cannabis can be like that too. Or so we can maybe, I want to speak to both. I want to speak to both. And maybe, mm. you know, I'm trying to speak to both. Maybe you don't successfully speak to either, but I feel like we can kind of do both. And uh, there's products mm. for both. There's the products for the connoisseurs and the top shelf stuff. And then there's your mass production stuff. And like, I'm not going to knock a guy because he drinks Bud Light every day or I love High Life, you know, but maybe somebody else wants an Apex Predator and more details or, you know, Mars Brewing. And then get into all the details of the hops and everything else. So, um, yeah. How do you find the balance between being willing to put the time and energy into a more craft strain that doesn't have the yield that say something else works? And when you're thinking about these numbers and you're thinking about that brand recognition, um, how, how do you find that balance? Yeah. The way I'm thinking about it is I'm not going to come out of the gate just shooting for that because we got to protect like the business. But I feel like once we get to a certain point where it's like cash flow is we're solid and we're healthy and we're growing and making profits, then we can kind of experiment and do some stuff that's just like not just for the culture, but like 80 percent just like, you know, or. 60% this is just for the culture. And mm -hmm. ultimately it probably helps with like branding and stuff like that. You can throw it in the marketing budget. You know, it doesn't have to be in like the, oh, this yield was super low. And so now like our margins are crushed on this like particular items so throw it out. It's like, no, maybe this is part of marketing and advertising and building community and stuff. So I want to do both, you know? Dude, you're awesome. I'm so happy I got to be here for this last set. I really uh, truly For the last half hour. Uh, thank you, um, Akili Parnell, CEO of Umi Farms. You can find the links to umifarms.com. You can find the links to the Lab 11. Lab 11, coolest, one of the coolest cannabis websites out there. All like retro Windows 95, but committed to the bit all the way through. Uh, all right. We got a ton of great products. I was just on there. I was looking at some of the products available. Um, and when are we thinking? When are we thinking? It's hoping. I know you don't know exactly, but maybe fall time it's going to be dispensaries. Yeah, let, let's no, no, no. Soon. Next month. Next Soon. month. Ooh. All right. When? All right. So we got a lot of great products coming out uh, on there. Both of them. Uh, give us a quick tease before you go. You got something that you haven't pulled back the uh, we don't really have a lot of listeners anyway. Kaylee. You got something <laughs> you want to pull back a little bit? Something you haven't. Yeah, come on. Like no one's listening, uh, especially at this point in the show. Like maybe the first 20, 30 minutes uh, they are. But by this point, no one is. Uh, we've seen the numbers. So. What's something, uh, give us some secret, give us something good you got coming up. Give us something, give us, give us some juice here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So, you know, we're hitting the market first with our infused pre-rolls, uh, with crushed diamond. Um, we have some great formulation methods behind that. So really excited about that. Got some really solid strains as the base. Um, and then we're coming out with a multi, multi-pack for pre-rolls, regular pre-rolls, infused pre-rolls. Um, we got a liquid diamond vape coming out and then um we're gonna have a muscle ball which is gonna be i think exciting and not a lot of people do but we think we can we i can am all well. in yeah all in i have just sought i'll tell you i was telling akili to be in the show dustin that i got my medical card recently and one of the number one reasons is because of where you know what we do i was able to visit a local processor here in ohio and their number one selling product they don't even make edibles their number one selling product is a topical it's a balm and it's like raved about in the state and there's finally 30 percent off at my dispensary and i went mm -hmm. it's amazing like if you haven't had a really good you got a 100 milligram looks like thc infused balm coming up you haven't had a really powerful thc even the cbd but a thc infused balm and you rub it on uh my bad you know disc off throwing shoulder here the left shoulder he does all the work dustin uh, I got to rub it on. It's fantastic. So <laughs> I think it's a, in that, I think that's the future, like not the whole future, but getting into those markets like that, both the, you know, the, the person playing basketball on the street and your grandma both can use, right? Your grandma may not roll that fatty, but both people, right? The dude on the street and the old lady in the home are both going to have tired sore joints and they're going to love THC ball. Totally underrated. I think you got to preach that word. Totally underrated uh, topicals. Topicals in this industry are going to be a big boon uh, coming up in the near future. That's my uh, 
other hot. It's not a hot take. It's a warm, lukewarm take. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I think we can really do some, some, some damage in that market and really uh, dominate that. And then, uh, of course, we'll have packaged flour, and we got some other stuff. Uh, some more exciting new stuff coming out. So. Oh, I'm excited. We can actually, you know, we talked to a lot of people, Akili. We don't you know, never, the odds of me getting to California are very rare. We can get to Illinois. Uh, so yeah. I'm looking forward to getting out there to Illinois. I'm going to hold that too. We'll have to get out there soon, Dustin. Uh, Akili Parnell from umifarms.com as well as lab11.com. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. I definitely appreciate it. Dustin, thanks for showing up, buddy. Thanks for uh, hanging on. Yeah. I'm so happy Doing you. yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the show today. Appreciate you guys all being here uh, on the show, uh, everyone. We will see you guys all uh, next week, Wednesday, 4.20 p.m. on Spotify. Every single Thursday, video podcast. Give us a like. Give us a subscription. Follow us at MeetWM. Uh, check out umifarms.com. Check out thelab11.com. Some of the great things going on in Illinois. Dustin, uh, be here on time next week. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>